0: And so the scripture was read, if you don't mind opening your Bibles, finding Genesis chapter 4, thank you for welcoming me to join in and jump in with your series preaching in Genesis, in the beginning. And that's where we will pick up. Scripture was already read. I would like to, if you would, hold this thought, this title for our message this morning. A slide of heart. A slide of heart. I stumbled over recently a series that Kevin Durant has put together. And it depicts a young man who is a prodigy, eighth grader who has all of his life, bright future ahead of him when it comes to the game of basketball. He comes from broken home, broken neighborhood, nothing but brokenness around him. And in that brokenness, this young man has a focus and he keeps his charge and commitment to his mother and to his coach. As the series goes on, this relationship develops deeper and deeper with his coach. And as this young man continues to uh, get acclaim for him, himself, and success for himself, he starts to feel himself. This, this constant work to be number one. And when he does attain that number one spot, he gets comfortable and begins to slide. Loses his focus and begins to slide. His relationship with his coach a subtle word comes in. It's truth, but it's subtle. He doesn't know it all, he doesn't get it all, but what he learns of his coach begins for him, the spiral of him taking this position of superiority and judges his coach. He stays with his coach for what he can get, but he begins to spiral, have a slide of heart. With regards to his coach, and his own life begins to take a spiral as well. It is with that thought in mind that I welcome you to see in this passage with me. Since we live in a fallen world, we must constantly condition our hearts with the gospel. Since we live in a fallen world, broken world. We must constantly condition ourselves with the gospel. In this passage, this ancient passage, there are three things I'm going to welcome you to see with me. They, They don't necessarily jump out, so you're going to need to open your Bible and look with me, but these three things, the subtlety of sin, the subtlety of grace, and the subtlety of salvation. Subtlety of sin, subtlety of grace, and the subtlety of salvation. Remember, since we live in a fallen world, we must constantly condition our hearts with the gospel. So the passage says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore, and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock, and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain in his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Did you see it? Did you see it, the subtlety? Sin. Did you see it? Did you see it? The Bible uses this word, and it's difficult for us because we are far removed from this ancient relationship that God had with his people, whereby when it comes to sin, sin today and sin at that time is is two completely polar different things. We don't use the word sin now. That makes us uncomfortable. But biblically speaking, when you hear the word sin, that is serious business. Now we, we make movies, we, we make songs, we have art, we have a whole culture built on sin, and so our hearts are not conditioned to view and see sin the way God sees sin. And so the text says that Adam knew his wife Eve, and she bore Cain. Now, it is critical when it comes to Hebraic language and writing that we get the big picture. It's not explicit in the text, but Hebraic language is laden with li- literature. And so the word Cain and Abel are huge to understanding when I say that you see the sin. The names, the names, where did those names come from? The name Cain means productive, prosperous, right? Adam and Eve named Cain productive and prosperous, but not the way we do. We ponder and think of a nice name that sounds good to name our children. But Cain was named based on how They discerned his movements and how they saw his life going. And so Cain was named productive and prosperous. He was the the winner. But Abel, as they named Abel, not so. His name means worthless. Wow. How do you name So when the time came for them to bring an offering, this is critical too. An offering, an offering, an offering. During these, during this time, the offering that they brought was an offering of dedication. It, it, it was an offering of dedication. The, the closest thing we have to understanding this is at the altar, man and woman getting married, and they offer one another to each other. They give a commitment through the ring. This is. All that I am, I'm giving and committing to you all that I am. So what's the problem here? They both brought an offering, didn't they? What's the issue? Why did God regard or give Abel the nod and he didn't give that nod to Cain? That's the question we're left with. Why was that? And it's not explicit in the text. That's why I'm welcoming you to put your nose in here with me. Abel's offering was from the fat of, the, of his flock. It was the firstborn. Of, it was the best of the best that he had. And not only that, for a rancher, because when they, when, when they take care of their cattle and they have children, they don't know necessarily they're going to have a multitude. So for Abel to give of the first fruit, was a declaration of trust that I'm going to give you my best even though I might only have three or I could have 20 or 50 more. But I'm going to give God my best and trust him. But Cain just brought, he just brought his offering. Are you getting that? There's There's a difference here in the regard of the offering, the dedication. Question for us all, not just for you. What if we, in our relationship with God, in terms of our dedication, where are we? Do we give him our best? When it even comes to worship and coming to church, do we see this as something that I'm doing in regard to checking the box to get an approval of God? Or, as it was earlier said earlier, do I get to and bring the best that I am? And show up and be present is a completely different thing. Sin, sin, sin. Sin is described as crouching. You see that? Sin is described as crouching at the door. I have cats. I have a cat at home named Shiloh. Amen. And my cat, I know I I haven't been a cat lover all my life. I got a cat for a purpose. Amen. Amen for a reason. There was some construction going on behind my home and I began to see something. And I needed that something out of here. And so we got a cat. And I learned a lot over a few years of just watching him. So I connected with this text in terms of the crouching, the getting low. Shiloh gets low when, she's, when he sees something. He's trying to appear small so he can't be seen. But as big as he is, that's kind of hard, but he does crouch. And when he's ready and he sees what he wants, whether he's playing or he's killing, he pounces. Sin, saints, is depicted the same way. It comes across crouching, small, minimal, getting low like, I'm not here, but it's there. Sin is always hiding from you. Sin always projects itself as something good, but not what it really, really is. Sin, sin is a power, and it takes shape over our lives. Sin, when it's it's small, if we don't deal with it right away, it grows up, and it begins to master us. And we know, we know we have people whom we may not in their face, who we'll say are liars, hold a grudge. And this individual, they might not even really know it, but we've gotten so comfortable with it that that's the identity that they have. Are y'all with me here? Whereby holding a grudge, oh, that individual holds a grudge. We we have folks like that. We're not going to just talk to folks like that. Do you know your crouching sin? This text is like a mirror. It checks all of us. Do we know our crouching sins? If we don't, saints, we're fooling ourselves. The Bible says that pride cometh before a fall. If we're so haughty, ourselves that we think we got all the answers and have life all together and got everything lined up and planned out, and we do not know our crouching sins, we are setting ourselves up for failure. Sin is seen and shown here as an agent. You see that? It's like an agent. However, it's not outside of us. Sin is in us. The sin is within Let's take a look. Let's take a look again. Verse six, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? This is before the sin takes place. And why has your face fallen? Two questions, two questions, right? I want you to notice the grace of God now. Two questions, two questions. Look at how God comes in. This is this goes against the grain of how people depict God of the Old Testament. That he's this high and holy, lofty God who's always condemning. Notice here early, early in Genesis, the grace of God, that when this comes and is before he sins, he shows up with a warning. Saints, God does the same thing with us. Before we act, are we catching, and picking up? Hearing God's whisper, his nudge about not getting involved, paying attention to the crouching sin in our lives. Same thing here. Notice now, he says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? That word fallen depicts depression. It's a Hebraic word for depression. Cain, Remember, Cain was that guy. He was the man. He was him. right? But not now. This dedication offering, he didn't bring his best. His heart has slid. Right? Abel did. The worthless one. The one who, who wasn't putting a smile necessarily on the family's face. But he got it together with God. And when it came in terms of his offering, he brought his best. And the text says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Accepted. Saints, every last one of us wants to be accepted. We want the nod. If not of mom and dad, we definitely want the nod of our God. God interacting with Cain lays it out and says, if you do right, Won't you be accepted? But again, sin has a way of mastering us to the point that we build our identity on it, right? And we are so wrapped up in it that we are unwilling to change and hold on to that false identity with everything we have. We won't let it go. Here it is. If God can't convince me of my sin, who can? And if you do not, and verse verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not, or if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Notice its desire. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over. That word is too nice, contrary. It's too nice. It's too nice. It wants you. It's like when Shiloh gets low, he's going to pounce on this thing. And if he plays with it, I'm going to have a problem. I want it destroyed. (laughs) right? And that's the goal of sin. It's not going to play with us. If you do sin, sin will do us. Now, I know this is kind of hard to hear on a Sunday morning, on a, on a Father's Day. But hang in here with me. It gets better. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. He brought his little brother to his side. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. The essence of sin is to build an identity without God. Therefore, if you build your identity on anything else beside God, you will explode. You will go ballistic. If your work and life is not recognized, you'll be upset and mad. You'll you'll lose it. When you are rejected or people don't see or acknowledge your work, like if I'm a good artist or a singer or a writer and it's not regarded, respected, we are capable, every last one of us are capable of doing what Cain has done. Now you may say, preacher, you're getting a little That's talking a little bit too tall. Let me say this and let me be clear. If it was me speaking, it would be a whole other thing. But I promise you it's in the text. They are in east of Eden. They're not in Eden anymore. They're in east of Eden. They're not in the garden anymore. If the conditions of life are right, We are liable to do anything. Cain was successful. He built his identity on it. He had a very, very different value system. Notice this what James says. Notice this what James says. James, James, I know you did a series through James. James chapter 1, 14 through 17 says, 17 says, but each person, each person, everybody is tempted when he is Lord And enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. Cain's Issue was that he based his identity on his success to the point that he could not celebrate his younger brother. If we allow our identity to slide into anything else besides him, we are subject to do anything. In this instance, Cain did not again get the nod or the regard of God. I want to close on this point with this saying sin is dangerous. We cannot minimize it by concluding our behavior as being human. While that has some truth in it, that is the problem. The subtlety of sin is that we just conclude, I'm just human. But that's just, that's not enough. We have to go all the way with it. I'm not just human. I'm a, dare I say it, sinner. Sinner. subtlety of grace. Verse 5, I just got back up just a bit, just to pull it out again. I did mention how that depression was there. The depression is there. The depression of Cain is there. But the Lord shows up, and he wasn't called on. He came unannounced. He came on his own. He came as a counselor with questions. He didn't come condemning. He came as a counselor with questions. Not just with answers. Notice now, he, God knows it all. He knows it all. But he causes Cain to be introspective. A good counselor will do that. Not that they don't have answers, but they want to ask you questions to cause you to think and cause you to stir up the things, belch up the things from your heart that are down there. That's what God is doing. And he's doing this so gracefully. He initiates he affirms, and then watch now, he uncovers. He, it's one thing to initiate. Thank you, Lord, for coming in and speaking with me. It's another thing to affirm. He affirms them by saying, if you do good, won't you do well and won't you be accepted? He affirms them. You can master this, you can. But watch now. He uncovers the convict, he uncovers and causes conviction with his question. Abel again offered a better sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice was that, saints? Do you recall again? It was one that demonstrated, here is all of all that I am, as opposed to, here's, a, here's an offering, God. Here's, here's something. Throw something in the plate. Mm-hmm. Hebrew says this. Watch. Hebrew says this. This offering. This offering. I can't get off of it. I need I need this to screw into your heart. By faith, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. They both knew that someday, because their father, mother and father taught them, there will be someone who will come and crush the serpent's head. Right. He will save He will save you from sin and death. Genesis 3.15, I will offer him, I will do it, and not you. That's good news. See, I can't today, as a preacher of the gospel, assume that everyone knows what the gospel is. Yes, it's good news. Yes, Jesus Christ has come, and he's died on the cross, but don't miss this offering, this dedication, this 100%. God gave his all. He bankrupt heaven. He did not just a few change. He didn't just send one of the seraphim or have you some angelic being. No, he gave his only begotten son. And he gave it for all of this that I'm kicking up this morning. That's why I didn't let it go. I see the faces. Amen. I see it. But preachers are called to preach regardless Don't don't even pay attention to the faces. Right. Sin is dangerous and it must be dealt with. The bottom line is one day we are going to stand before a holy and righteous God. We can play around with this world all we want, but each one of us got an expiration date on us. Death is in front of every last one of us. And to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. We don't just go into nothing. But the good news is that when these eyes shut on this side, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, when I do stand before God, I'll get his nod, I'll get his acceptance, not because of me, but because of the prints in his hand, the wound on his side, the blood. That came streaming down. I will never, ever get bored with the gospel because, yes, it's good news. It's good news. And that sounds in its simplicity. But what Tim Keller is helping me to understand is the gospel and all of its implications, how to live this out, how I can be a better father, because I've made a mess of that. How I can be a better husband because I made a mess of that? How can I live out the gospel, put feet on it in my neighborhood, community, wherever I'm at? How do I bring about human flourishing? That's the call on every one of our lives. To live out the gospel, follow Jesus into the world wherever you're situated. And then when you stand before him, he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Almost out of your way. Almost out of your way. Almost out of your way. This sacrifice, this sacrifice. Paul mentions this sacrifice. I'm landing the plane, saints. Paul mentions this this sacrifice. It is a heart matter. It's a heart matter. It's a able offered again in response to the grace of God. Cain did not. Romans chapter 12, verse one says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. A heart of gratitude, a gratitude. A, a, you have a heart of gratitude, which is Abel's offering. And then you have this means of salvation, which is. Cain's offering, right? if, you're, if you're not coming to God as a response to the fact that God completely accepts you in his son, see, again, we, if, if we embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're saved. We are saved. Bags are packed. Going to heaven. Nothing you can do to earn it, right? But in terms of how you do relationship with him, do you have a sense, is there a void, is there a hole in your heart whereby at times, I know for me there is, I don't feel fully accepted, I haven't done enough, right? There are those times, and now, in those moments, if you agree or not to that, in that moment we're not trusting the gospel because again, the good news is he has, by his blood, purchased and paid for all of our sin. You can never be more affirmed and accepted the day you have embraced Christ. And you have to, you have to condition, you must condition your heart with that truth because the point, the day that you don't and you go out into the world and you fail or fall on your face or miss, don't get the job or Things don't work together for good for you. You will utterly fall. Your face will fall. Depression sets in. But if your life is built on Jesus and not quicksand, not sinking sand, if your heart, your your being is built on Christ, you're standing on firm ground. Didn't we sing that earlier? A firm foundation. This blood, and we're done. This blood. This blood. This blood. This blood is crying out. He tells Cain, he says to Cain, the blood of your brothers crying out from the ground. It's crying out from the ground. And the blood, the blood, the blood of everyone that spilt is crying out from the, God, from the ground for justice. And God is a God of justice, and he hears every time blood is spilt, he hears that. But, Cain, but Abel's blood right now is crying out from the, from the ground, and the Hebrew writer helps us understand what's going on here. But you have come to Mount Zion. Hebrews, 20, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 26. But you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable angels in uh, in festival gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks better word than, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus Christ is the better Abel. His blood cries out to God on our behalf. Every time sails falls flat on his face, the blood of Jesus Christ cries out to God. Oh, you looking at me here. The blood of Jesus cries out to God in this way. See, if God was looking for me to do something to make the situation better, he'll be taking two payments. And that would be unjust. But the blood of Jesus is the final payment. And Jesus stands as our lawyer to remind God, to let him know that the blood was spilt for sales. And so, his, so when he falls on his face, he, I am not upsetting God because he's paid for all my sins, past, present, and future. You must, saints, condition your hearts with the gospel. His blood cries out from the ground for justice. His blood cries out for the, from the ground for justice. How secure are you in him? How certain are you in him? He would be unjust to ever, ever, ever not Forgive us of our sins. His blood, his life was given to satisfy our sins. He would have taken, again, two payments, two payments, and he would have been unjust. As this chapter closes, it closes with hope, saints. Abel is dead. Cain is still alive. The Bible says Eve bore another son. She bore Seth. She bore Seth. And the Bible closes by, or that chapter closes by saying, and now, and the people at that time, they begin to call on the name of the Lord. A whole new line of people are now calling on the name of the Lord. Cain's family line, Lamech and them, they, they, they represent a heart that has self-righteousness, but Seth's, Line represents the heart and the line of God's people who are now calling on the name of the Lord.